All right, Alexander, let's talk about what is going on in Asia. We've got a big uh, Central Asian summit that we need to talk about, which is not getting that much attention, at least not in the collective West media, but it's, uh, it's important. And it coincides with a trip from the Russian prime minister to China, where he has said some very interesting things, uh, not only about the Russian economy, but also about Russian cooperation with uh, China, which is uh, growing and strengthening by the by the minute, second, hour, day. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty incredible how quickly the uh, the relationship between Russia and China is uh, is deepening and and, and growing. It. it I would have never thought it, w it would reach this level. If you had told me this two, three years ago, I would have never imagined this type of cooperation between Russia and China reaching this level. I think, I think uh, Ms. Houston said something like 200 billion in, in trade already between Russia and, uh, and China. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, let, 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 let's, let's deal, with, deal with the Central Asian states. So the Western powers have been doing putting an awful lot of pressure on the Central Asian states over the last few months. As you can remember, before the special military operation began in Ukraine, there were big protests in Kazakhstan. There was also some kind of political crisis there between the president, Takayev, and his predecessor, Nazarbayev. The Russians backed Takayev. They sent troops into Kazakhstan. The protests were suppressed, and Nazarbayev was basically edged out. He was pushed out of the scene and gradually, systematically, people that were associated with him have been removed and replaced by other people who were closer to Tokayev. Tokayev, of course, having been a diplomat in the Soviet foreign ministry and having a long... Uh, and, by the way, the Russian foreign ministry for a time and being somebody who was politically considered to be close to the Russians. Nonetheless... Lots of attempts by the Western powers thereafter to try to um, create problems between the Russians and the Central Asian states and between the Central Asian states and China, in effect, to try and win them over. And uh, lots of rumours about this, lots of nervousness, I've noticed on the part of some people, believe that Kazakhstan, for example, especially, is going to reorient itself realign with the West. Well, the last two weeks, I think, have basically exploded all of this. Firstly, there was the May Day, uh, the, the May 9th Victory Day celebrations in Moscow. And all of the Central Asian leaders came, including Tokayev from Kazakhstan, but also others like the president of Turkmenistan, who historically has tended to try to keep his distance from the Russians. Turkmenistan has, it's not part of the Eurasian e Economic Union. It's not part of the Collective Security Treaty Organization, for example. But anyway, this time, the president of Turkmenistan actually visited Moscow and spoke of Russia as his country's strategic partner. So the Russian side of the equation clearly is stable, the assumption that the West was making inroads, winning these countries away from Russia, peeling them away, that didn't look like it was true. 
Now we have had this much more important event, which is in Xi'an, in western China. Xi'an, by the way, was historically one of China's great historic capitals. It was where the Han Dynasty and the Tang Dynasty had their capitals. It's also the city uh, which historically um, was the launch point for Chinese interaction with Central Asia. So holding this conference in Xi'an, in effect, was symbolic of all that long history of interaction between China and the Central Asian states. Again, all the Central Asian leaders were there, including the leader from Turkmenistan, Xi Jinping, attended, spoke, and there's clearly now the clear policy, economic integration, China, Central Asia, Russia. They're clearly becoming a block. And all of these attempts by the Western powers to pull the Central, Asian away, Central Asians away have failed. And it's very strange that people in the West should think otherwise, given the geography of this region. Uh, I mean, you know, China and Russia are, you know, the giants nearby. Iran is an important place too. Um, but also, given the long history of our cultural interconnections, the fact that Central Asia was for decades part of first the Russian Empire and then the Soviet Union, and then the millennial history of connections between Central Asia and China. So I have to say this, I think that this plan to peel Central Asia away has failed. And I think this block that's been created involving Russia, China and the Central Asian states has been consolidated. And I'm also going to say this, that I think many people who have this idea that the Chinese and the Russians are in some kind of competition in Central Asia are completely wrong. I think that they're working in harness with each other. The Chinese provide the economic support to some extent. The Russians also important economically. The Russians, however, provide the major security assistance. So it's a complementary partnership between the Chinese and the Russians. But fundamentally, what you're seeing is a Eurasian bloc being created and consolidated. Iran has been drawn in. Afghanistan is being drawn in. After the elections in Turkey, perhaps, just possibly, it's conceivable we might start to see the Turks ever so slowly and ever so carefully edging towards it. Towards it. Though I still don't think they're prepared to yet, for the moment, to fully break their links with the West. Yeah, you just look at a map and uh, it all makes sense. What, what would, what would the, the Europeans or the United States, for that matter, what would they do in, in Central Asia? What, what added value could they put into, into the uh, Central Asian uh, nations? I mean, it just makes sense that they work with Russia and China. Just have to look at, look at the situation on a map, and everything is is clear as to where this can go. The potential is, is huge. Yes, absolutely. Well, of course, we had. A whole series of reports um, in the United States. There was there was one going back, I think, to 1992, saying that the priority for the United States was not to pre to prevent the emergence 
of uh, a rival adversary power in U Eurasia. And then there was the Wolfowitz Doctrine of the early 2000s, which reaffirmed that on an even stronger scale. And, of course, Przezinski's grand chessboard and all of these things, the idea to try to keep Central Asia, Eurasia, Russia, all of these places divided and weak. And, of course, it's failing. I mean, it's visibly failing. They're all coming together. The pieces are slotting into place. All right. Uh, let's talk about the prime minister's, Russian prime minister's trip to, yeah. to China. Well, this goes directly back to the point we were just making now, that the Russians and the Chinese are working in harness in Central Asia. They're not just working in harness in Central Asia. They're working together in every other conceivable field. Now, uh, the prime minister, Prime Minister Mishutsin, who is... Uh, I think universally acknowledged now to be an extremely capable technocrat. I mean, he's Putin's best prime minister. I mean, Putin's had many prime ministers, but by general consensus, uh, Mishutsin has been the most capable. Anyway, he's the, he's the man who steered Russia through the sanctions war. And he's also somebody who some people are saying might conceivably be the person who eventually steps into Putin's shoes, that he becomes, uh, you know, eventually Russia's president. It's conceivable. And he's also very popular. He's also a popular figure in Russia. Anyway, he has a technological engineering background. He graduated from Stankin, which is one of Russia's, the Soviet Union's, major technical uh, universities it's involved in robotics, AI, cyber things, all that kind of thing. So he's got that kind of a background. He's also always been interested, as far as one can see, in Chinese in relations with China. He's just gone to China. He first started his trip in Shanghai. He's meeting all kinds of senior Chinese leaders. There's rumours that he's going to meet Xi Jinping himself, but he's met the Chinese Prime Minister. And, of course, what he's talking about is the e enormous increase in economic relations, economic contacts between China and Russia. Now, this was already a developing thing before the war in Ukraine began. And I can remember that the Chinese and the Russians had a target of increasing their trade to 200 billion dollars a year that was going to be the total turnover of the trade it's now i understand they've not only achieved that figure they vastly exceeded it and it's likely that russian chinese trade this year is going to be well very much greater than that so Ch russia is rapidly evolving into one of china's major trading partners from having been a very minor trading partner before. And China is, of course, now Russia's biggest trading partner. And Mishutsin is there to consolidate all of this. And he's come straight out of a meeting with Putin, which was shown, by the way, in Russia on national television, when they're talking about, you know, the, developing the Arctic, the fact that the Chinese are going to be involved in all of this. And as you correctly said, trade, commercial relations, 
economic linkages being established at a speed which nobody would have imagined possible just a few years ago and which for most of the you know, last 20 years, people in the West were saying would never happen. You know, that the Russians were deeply suspicious of the Chinese. The Chinese were deeply suspicious of the Russians, the two countries supposedly. And this is a, 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 a cover in The Economist. They were the best of frenemies. They didn't really like each other, in other words. Well, how wrong has that turned out to be? Okay, so the final question is, uh, the cope that we're going to hear from the collective West is that, uh, haha, you see, Russia is now nothing more than a vassal of China. It's completely controlled by China. Now, that's going to be the, the headlines coming out of the New York Times and the Washington Post. And that's going to be what uh, Kirby says when he speaks to the media. Russia has been reduced to nothing more than, than just a subservient to China. What do you, what do you say to that? Right. Well, there's two, there's two things. Well, three things to say about that. Firstly, they are already saying it. I mean, I'm reading all kinds of articles about this in all sorts of places. So this is, as you correctly say, it's the cope. Um, and that's, you know, that's what they're saying, obviously. The, the first thing to say is, um, why, from the perspective of the West, is that a good thing? even if it were true. I mean, I'm not sure why this is something to be pleased about if it were the reality. Um, I mean, it would still mean, it would mean logically an enormous increase in Chinese power that they have turned Russia supposedly into a province of greater China. Because, I mean, you know, with all the natural resources and technology and all that that Russia possesses, I mean, we, you're dealing with a more powerful China than you would otherwise do. So I don't really see why that actually helps. But, so, but the, the, the next thing to say is that, of course, it's absolute and complete nonsense. Um, now, China is a much, much bigger economy than Russia's is. Nobody disputes that. But... That's not to say that Russia is insignificant. Well, we've seen in the Ukraine war that they're able to outproduce the West in ammunition, in tanks, in all kinds of things. So they have a significant industrial base. They have an extremely advanced science base as well. They have colossal natural resources. They have the world's biggest territory. And they will have also the world's biggest nuclear arsenal. So... They are a big player. They're a big player internationally. They've got, uh, um, you know, influence expanding in Africa. They're now um, developing economic relations with Cuba. They have relations with all sorts of other countries. Dmitry Medvedev, the deputy head of the Security Council, he's on a tour in the Far East, by the way. He's visiting first Laos and then eventually Vietnam, apparently. So this is a major power. It's not a vassal of China. It is an ally of China. And, of course, that is a colossal problem for the West because it means that the Chinese and the Russians have come together where the whole interest of the West was to keep them apart. One of the reasons why the West succeeded in the Cold War was because at that time the Russians and the Chinese were at odds with each other now, China is far more powerful. Russia is far richer. 
And those two countries are coming together and the challenge that they're posing to the West is an enormous one. And we see how they're working together in all sorts of places. They work together in the Middle East, where the Chinese brokered the uh, rapprochement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, where Russia did the heavy lifting in Syria, where the Russians have good relations with the Saudis. And we also spoke earlier in the programme about how the Russians have uh, uh, and the Chinese are working together in Central Asia. And of course, both of these countries are also working together very closely now with Iran. Russia has developed big trading links with Iran and they complement those that China also has. So, you know, this is, as you say, it's a cope. It's a stupid cope at multiple levels. And it isn't preparing the Western public and Western opinion for the challenge that they face now. The greatest geopolitical f-up in all of history this is it no I mean, this is yeah. it coming from the biden white yeah. house this is the greatest miscalculation screw up call it what you want in 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 the history of geopolitics was what the yes. biden white house has done now, the, yes. a fifth grader a fifth grader could have told you a year and a half ago two years ago could have said you know what Russia is vastly more important on a geopolitical level than, uh, than this whole Ukraine project. Just get Alensky to say he's not going to enter NATO. Just get him to, uh, to agree to the Minsk um, agreement and let's start courting Russia. Let's start getting on good terms with Russia. That would have been the simplest, smartest thing for any White House administration to do. But they did. They they went in the exact opposite direction, and boy, did they screw everything up for themselves. They screwed everything up for the United States of America, for the collective West, for the European Union. They really, really, really messed it up in a big, big way. This is historic. Absolutely, and it is historic. And you know, the extraordinary thing about this is it wasn't done with. It wasn't as if there wasn't warnings. Now, you know, shortly after the after Biden was inaugurated, there was an extraordinarily interesting article. I mean, in some ways, a very paranoid and bizarre article, but it appeared in the website of the Atlantic Council. And it's widely believed that it was written by a Biden administration official who has now left, by the way, the administration. Anyway, he actually made exactly the point that you said. He said, look, China is the great adversary. Uh, um, Xi Jinping is the great, you know, Blofeld, who's going to try and take over the world. You know, he was all done in this sort of way. You know, he's the new dictator. It was full of that kind of stuff. But he said, look, they're our enemy. They're our true enemy. We can't allow China and Russia to become allies because that would be, that would create, put us at an overwhelming disadvantage. So, We've got to find ways to improve relations with Russia, even if that means making certain concessions to them, for example, over the subject of Ukraine. And I can remember that article provoked a collective nervous breakdown from all the Atlanticists and ideologues and all those kind of people on the Atlantic Council and whatever. And a few weeks later, a few months later, in August 2021, we got an article by the, the, the counter article by a former State Department official, W. Wes 
Mr. Wes Mitchell, I should say, um, who uh, wrote a piece in the uh, National Interest. He said, no, we mustn't make any concessions to the Russians at all. We must engineer their defeat in Ukraine. And then that will mean that we can then take control of Russia and divert it into a confrontation with China. And the example he gave, which is a very bad example, was the way in which Bismarck defeated the Austrian Empire back in 1866 and gained control of its foreign policy and turned it against Russia and France. I mean, you know, uh, juvenile stuff, silly history, which has no bearing on realities. But that was the line that the Biden White House eventually took. They went with the, the line of, you know, break Russia apart, defeat it on the battlefield, crater its economy, affect regime change there. And that was the way you're going to uh, break this alliance between China and Russia. And of course, what they've done is that they've made it much stronger. As you said, <laughs> the greatest effort. <laughs> geopolitical effort in the history of time. I mean, I cannot remember any anything like this happened before. Any any good president, leader, manager would have would have looked at both of the arguments that you just outlined, Alexander, they would have said, well, this argument about cratering Russia, destroying Russia, then turning Russia in, into, into our vassal, plundering its resources, and then getting it to go against China, any manager would have said, or a leader would have said, that, that sounds so incredibly complicated and full of risks. Just call up Zelensky. Tell him they're not going to enter NATO. Tell him to enforce the Minsk agreements. And then give Putin a call and, and let's start mending our relationship. I mean, you look at both yes. scenarios and, and it's crystal clear which one is, is like five minutes of work and which one is, is, is going to result in a colossal failure and, and catastrophe. Well, you're absolutely but they, right. But they but chose that the one. Yeah. They chose that one because, of course, the other... Well, two things to say. Firstly, they believe themselves to be incredibly clever. And, you know, so, you know, you're going to be Bismarck. <laughs> you're going to play being Bismarck. So, you know, you have that kind of cleverness behind you. But the other thing to say is, of course, the other... The, the one they chose conforms with their ideological and uh, visceral predilections. These people hate Russia. It's as simple as that. They have this obsessive hatred of Russia. And if they're neocons, as I've said many times, they have no reverse gear. So asking them to make concessions to the Russians, whom they hate, it's just not going to happen. So, of course, they went for this utterly reckless, utterly deranged, utterly crazy, utterly impossible project because they could not do otherwise. There was also a lot of money that they had oh, well, floating around in Ukraine money. as well, <laughs> tied up in Project well, Ukraine. And, yeah. Well, and they didn't want to ruin that, that, that game. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, anyway, all right. Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, the Duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble, Rockfin, Odyssey, Petruda, Telegram, and go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.